vai descer dele, o Sirius. CGSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. Your mind on radio. Summertime will be loving 
All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SU Weekly, our show run by the Students' Union here at the University of Calgary on CJSW. Um, so what we just had playing was San Francisco by Scott McKenzie. Um, so good morning, everyone, and welcome to SU Weekly, where we talk about everything going on with the University of Calgary Students' Union. My name is Nicole Schmidt, and I am the Students' Union President, soon to be outgoing Students' Union President. Um, in about a week and a half. Uh, with me today, I'm actually joined by Shazia Jenna Morissette, your Vice President Academic. I'll maybe let Shazia introduce herself. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm Shazia Jenna Morissette, your 80th Vice President Academic for the next week and a half about. Uh, and then I'm your incoming Students' Union President uh, being passed on from, from Nicole. Absolutely. So we're very excited to have uh, Shazia with us today. She's not going to be uh, co-hosting today, but she is working all of the buttons. So thank you so much, Shazia, for being our technical wizard behind the scenes. We appreciate it. Um, but for everyone listening. So in case you didn't know, there is an Alberta provincial election coming up in less than two months. Albertans will head to the polls on May 29th to select a new provincial government. Um, and for everyone listening, we just want to remind you that students especially cannot afford to sit this election out. Since 2019, post-secondary education has become less affordable. The average student is paying 33% more than they did in 2019, or about $1,200 more per year. The problem is that despite paying more, students are getting less. Students are still facing crumbling infrastructure, burst pipes, fewer advisors, and fewer wellness services on campus. Too often, voters don't really get to know the local candidates running in their constituency. So to do our part, we have reached out to candidates running in several Calgary ridings, primarily those with large student and youth populations, to have them talk about their background and their takes on post-secondary issues. If you're a provincial election candidate and want to come on CJSW and SU Weekly to chat, we would love to have you on. So please reach out to the Students' Union. Uh, last week on our show, we had Alberta Party candidate for Calgary Varsity, Angela Grace, and UCP candidate for Calgary Buffalo, Astrid Kuhn, on the show. Uh, today, I'm very excited to continue interviews with two more candidates and hear their perspectives on post-secondary issues. So with that, I am thrilled to welcome today's first guest. So running in Calgary Bow for the Alberta Party is Paul Goodart. And did I pronounce that correctly, Paul? That sounds perfect. Fantastic. So to introduce Paul, uh, he started his career in the oil business in the early 80s, finding a passion in the systemic... Uh, oh, sorry, Seismic in industry, is that seismic. Correct? correct? Seismic industry, and later becoming the Red Seal uh, structural ironworker and layout surveyor before retiring. Paul is a community development advocate with 20 years of experience volunteering in his community for a variety of outreach programs. So without further delay, I would like to welcome Alberta Party candidate for Calgary Bow, Paul Goodard, to the show. So welcome and good morning. Well, good morning and thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us on today. It's uh, nice to have you with us. I know that you were able to attend uh, one of the rallies that the Students' Union hosted on campus right. a few yeah. weeks ago. But I guess to start us off today, so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe how your experiences have impacted your decision to embark as a candidate in this election? Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to start with a basic acknowledgement. Absolutely, yeah. That, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity to acknowledge that uh, this meeting or this interview is taking place on the traditional territories of the people of the Treaty 7 uh, in the southern region of Alberta. Uh, this includes the city of Calgary and we're also the home to the Métis Nation, Alberta Region 3. I just 
kind of like before I do anything, I, I like to make the ad acknowledgement. Absolutely. No, that's so important. And I know that that's something that uh, we recognize at the start of any conferences or events or sort of formal meetings on campus. So that's really important. I believe CJSW as well also has a sort of recurring territorial acknowledgement, but we appreciate you taking the, the space and the time to uh, to say that because that's very important that we recognize that at the start of any sort of formal formal meeting. Um, yeah, with that, do you want to tell us all maybe a little bit about yourself? You betcha. Um, when I uh, retired, um, my wife decided to continue to work, so I became the stay-at-home dad, which was fantastic. My daughter, I think, was in grade two and my son in grade five. So I became this person that was at the school, uh, reading with the kindergarten kids, helping out wherever I could. And I just saw this need in the community to expand my little volunteer efforts. And things just seemed to get bigger and deeper in in depth on what we really need in our community. Um, I went forward, uh, did a lot of work with some homeless, uh, some drug-addicted folks, and a lot of uh, people that are they're employed, but they're kind of underemployed uh, and struggling to make ends meet. Uh, a lot of single parents trying to raise their kids on a single, uh, usually very low income. And it just drove me to do a lot of things in the community. I got to the point in my life where the things that I'm doing, uh, I've almost come to the the point where I can't do any more. Um, I made a lot of efforts with the city of Calgary, with uh, the province of Alberta through the years, trying to improve things. And we did do a lot of really, really good things. Myself, the uh, council of school council chairs of Alberta, I think that's how we say it. Uh, We were able to get a few laws changed uh, with the school zone and playground zone. And it was just, it was so hard to get anything done without having the power. Right. And, that's why I decided to run the last election was, you know, you if you can't get things done, you have to go to that next level. Right. And I just think I could do very well if I was in a uh, position of power. Absolutely. Well, that's great to hear how your experiences sort of inform that decision to embark as a candidate on this election, because it's interesting, I know, for our listeners and for us at the Students' Union, just to speak to candidates like yourself and sort of hear everyone's uh, backgrounds, because we were talking about this before the show, but it seems like a lot of our candidates have strong ties, obviously, to Calgary, but to also post-secondary and K-12 education. So, uh, yeah, we really appreciate hearing hearing a little bit more about your background. And uh, for our next question for you, so uh, what made you decide to run for the party that you chose? So in this case, the Alberta party. Uh, I was a conservative for many, many years. And as I started to see it in, in, in my mind that the party was going downhill, it became a very elitist party. If you didn't make huge donations to the party, you were kind of pushed back. And it just, you know, we, we had the big party room up in Edmonton with uh, Allison Redford, um, the jets, the helicopters. I don't know if anyone remembers those. There <laughs> Back were, in the good old days. Yeah. The good old days of, yes, yeah. uh, and it was just too much of an elitist party, and they weren't really taking care of Albertans. It was take care of ourselves first, and if there's anything left, then we can see what we can do. And um, 
I'm sorry, what was the rest of the question? No worries. Um, uh, uh, why did you decide to oh, run for the Alberta party in this case? Right. It sounds like you felt that it was a little bit less maybe elitist than the conservatives. Is that correct? Very, very much uh, less elitist. Okay. And uh, it's definitely not top heavy. Right. We, we definitely have a, a fantastic leader in Barry Morishida. But his his idea is what comes first is your constituents, then the party. The party is never above what your constituents are. And we're allowed to disagree with what Barry says depending on what's going on in our little areas because Alberta is different in so many ways. Uh, a one a, – a one how, – how would you say? A one uh, – uh, one answer to the entire problem is is not the answer. We have to look at everyone individually, whether right. it's the universities or um, you know pre-university schools or healthcare. Right. We just can't do one thing to make everything work. Right, that makes sense. Um, no, but thank you for your uh, your perspective on that because it's interesting, you know, hearing sort of everyone's backgrounds and sort of how that plays into which party they ultimately decide to run for. Um, so I guess for our next question, before we jump into some more post-secondary specific questions, um, so what do you view as the greatest strength and also challenge that Albertans uh, are facing going into this election? And how do you plan to address these strengths and challenges? I, I think our greatest strengths is our youth. You know, people under, say, 40, the ones that have so much of their life yet to go. I mean, they, they look at everything different. They grew up with technology. Right. You know, someone like me, I remember when the internet actually came out. You know, like, <laughs> it's it it's not my generation. And the youth now are the ones that can really make a difference. Uh, they seem a lot more intelligent. They seem to have a good grasp on what's going on worldwide. Mm-hmm. And, and some of us older folks are kind of stuck in our ways and we still think how things were done in the past that didn't work, but we'll still do it over and over again. Absolutely. So uh, youth would be one of the strengths that you think is sort of most most important uh, going into this election. Uh, what about challenges that Albertans are facing? What do you think is maybe the biggest challenge? The biggest challenge is the apathy. Okay. Um, my vote won't make a difference. Um, you know, if, if you know, it's all uh, politicians are crooked. Doesn't matter who gets in; they're not going to help me. Right. And and unfortunately, a lot of that is true. Uh, I don't know about the crookedness, but you know, helping the actual individual or the community out. Uh, we've got away from having the MLAs work for the community. Mm-hmm. The MLAs now work for the party. Right. And without working for the community, they're just a, a figurehead. We have uh, two leaders right now that are in control of everything. Uh, whether it's trying to set up a debate, it has to go through head office. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about the interview, but I'm, I'm sure the other candidates had to check with someone to make sure it was okay. Uh, with the Alberta party, we're actually allowed to go out and make mistakes. We try not to, but you know, we, we have in the past and we will in the future. Absolutely. Well, no, that's um, 
that's good to keep in mind. And I'm sure, you know, running as a candidate for the first time is never an easy undertaking. Um, so with that, we'll jump into some more uh, post-secondary specific questions, which sure. I think is uh, very pertinent given that um, you see youth is one of Alberta's strengths headed into this election. Um, so to, pro- to provide a little bit of context for this next question. So post-secondary students in Alberta are facing uh, very significant challenges with regards to affordability. So tuition increases have put additional financial pressure on students with a 33% increase since 2019, uh, despite the 2% cap on tuition increases announced by the UCP, which will begin in the 2024 to 2025 academic year. So next year, students are already facing tough situations regarding financial pressures due to tuition hikes. Many students are being forced to sacrifice their basic needs because of these financial stressors. Uh, So my question for you is, what will you do to lessen these financial pressures and support students at a time when they need it most? Well, I I think what we really have to do as a a government, whether it's UCP, NDP, Alberta Party, is really focus on this mandatory fee increase, Mm -hmm. which kind of doesn't make sense to me. You have something mandatory. That's a one-size-fit-all, again, issue. Absolutely. Uh, things like the Summer Temporary Employment pr- Program, that should come back in. Uh, there was no reason to take it out. It was, you know, I, in my opinion, it was a big mistake. It, it helped a lot of students out, mm-hmm. not greatly, but there was a little bit of, you know, hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And and like you say, a lot of the students, you know, they're on the verge of dropping out just because of the high costs. And and what a loss. We we have super intelligent, great people that will not get an education because the cost is prohibitive. You know, and there's some people that can do it, you know, your student loans, maybe your parents or grandpa left you some money. But a lot of students are really struggling. Mm-hmm. Um Years ago when I went to Athabasca, I did the uh, – it wasn't online. It was more of a phone call and mail-in, mail-out. It was quite a few years ago. Right. Uh, things were a lot cheaper. It was really easy to do. The financial burden wasn't crazy. When my sister went to uh, uh, university, again, the finances were – they were there, but it wasn't a make-it-or-break thing. A part-time job and you were pretty much set. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so much more challenging for students to pay for post-secondary now because for a lot of students, the time in which they have to actually save up money to pay for their tuition is the summer. So they look for employment opportunities in the summer. And with the removal of the STEP program, uh, it's so much harder for students to you know, find those employment opportunities and really access those. Um, so maybe ask you a question about that in a moment. But I know you touched on uh, fees and fee increases. Um, so one question that I have for you is to provide a little bit of context. So mandatory non-instructional fees, or what we call here at the university, MNIFs. Also, I think that's the term across the province. Um, are required fees that the university charges to students in addition to tuition for additional goods and services. These fees have increased by 20% since 2019 for students, 
significantly above inflationary rates, yet there have been stagnant or declining services produced to students as a result of these fees. These fees remain a loophole for universities to actually increase student costs outside of tuition. Um, so my question for you is, do you think that it's fair that students are paying above inflationary rates for these fees and that the university is using these fees as a workaround, as a way to sort of supplement these tuition increases? You know, I don't think there should be any extra fees. Once you pay your tuition, that pretty much should be it. Mm -hmm. uh, we live in Alberta, my goodness. We have, you know, so much going for us. It's just the squandering that's been going on and focusing the money in places where it's, it's, it's important, but not as important as education. Uh, when you folks graduate, you're going to be the taxpayers and the people that actually run the province if you stay. And I hope that you guys stay because we're losing so many students. But why, why do you, we have to charge people with very limited income, if none at all, mm -hmm these, to me, astronomical extra fees for things that should be just included in the program. Absolutely. And I know um, one concern with uh, one of the more recent government announcements is that, you know, now there's going to be a, a cap on tuition for the 2024 to 2025 year moving forward. Um, but fees aren't going to be capped at any type of uh, rate or, you know, tied to CPI in any way, uh, which is concerning because the universities in Alberta can now sort of increase those fees by however they see fit to sort of compensate for that tuition deficit. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's, uh, that's really important for candidates to sort of look at heading into this election, um, especially, you know, any candidates with post-secondaries in their riding or potential ridings, um, because that is something that's going to affect students these next few years. Um, so with that, I know we talked a little bit earlier about the summer temporary employment program. Um, so a question that I have for you about that, and again, I'll provide a little bit of context here to our listeners, but access to summer employment opportunities is a challenge that students have continued to face since the cancellation of the summer temporary employment program or STEP by the UCP back in 2019. Students are simply not eligible for the current jobs program, which requires permanent full-time employment. Uh, in June 2022, youth unemployment sat at 10.2%, which was double the provincial unemployment rate of 4.9%. Students are heading into their fourth consecutive jobless summer with increased living costs, hike tuition, and no government support. So how do you perceive these challenges and what strategies, if any, do you think that you could enact to help students overcome this inadequate access to summer employment opportunities? Well, like I said earlier, we, we have to re-implement that STEP program and and make it better. Mm -hmm. Really look at how we can increase the amount of employment we can give the students on a good paying uh, job for the summer. You know, I, I just came in from Edmonton and as I'm driving down the highway, I'm thinking there are so many little infrastructure things that we could be doing and we could hire students for. Uh, like nothing dangerous or anything, but, you know, kind of a manual labor, kind of, not the best job in the world. But, I mean, why can't we pay students to do that and, and pay them more than a living wage? A, a living wage is, it, in my mind, just not enough to make things work. Uh, working with a lot of poor people in my past, uh, they use that living wage, but you need more than a living wage. You need more than just survive. 
and and in a province like ours, there's there's just no excuse. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, students especially, you know, they really need access to those opportunities because that's how they pay for not only tuition but you know living expenses such as you know housing and food. Um, we've seen a lot more concerns this year from students regarding you know an ability to find safe or affordable housing while also accessing, you know, healthy and nutritious meals. It's been um, quite a struggle just with inflation combined with the tuition increases. Um, But one other thing that we've been hearing from students is obviously coming out of the pandemic, uh, mental health. So mental health has been a considerable increase in concern for post-secondary students. One in two students uh, federally say that they need mental health support, but many cannot access the resources that they need. Students need someone who will help to make sure that their health is made a priority. Um, So headed into this election, uh, how do you sort of plan to address this issue? Is this something on your radar previously? What are your thoughts on sort of supporting students with mental health? Well, that is such an important subject, uh, especially with the end of kind of the end of COVID happening. Absolutely. Um, Things have changed so much. Mental health was a big issue before COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, after COVID, there's been a a big increase in, uh, you know, suicides, drug addiction, uh, whether it's alcohol or or, uh, other types of drugs. Um, And, and the, the inability for a student to have a safe place to live at that plays on their, their mental health, mm-hmm. like, and it would have anybody, not just a student. Um, you know, unfortunately, this current government has never taken mental health seriously. It, it's really, it's not even part of our healthcare system. It's this kind of black sheep that's kind of pushed off to the way. And we have this small little facility up in the Foothills Hospital, which is overran. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's. Mental health, there it's just not treating the the person that has the the issue. It's finding the cause of it. And like you said, the the housing. You know, if you have to pay sixteen or eighteen hundred dollars a month for a roof, and then try to feed yourself, and then try to put tuition. You know, when I was making very good money, I couldn't make enough money to do that. Absolutely, yeah. And that was you know full time work. How was a student? supposed to do that and now just all that getting rolled into one and uh yeah i i'm i'm very impressed on the ones that can do it but i'm very worried about the ones that are on the edge or the ones that have fallen off because again we're losing a great resource and i know i guess it's my naive naivety i've always been a little naive and i always look at how we can make things better Easily, I don't like to make it too complicated, but with with the students, I, it's just not throwing money at it. It's putting money into the right places, so we can get the students in the right frame of mind right. and and set them on a path to success. Absolutely, that's that's so important. And uh, yeah, these students need the financial support while they're in school. Because I know there's been a lot of talks about, you know, reducing uh, interest rates on loans or sort of cancelling student loans altogether, um, which is great for students who have, you know, completed school and are now in the workforce. But 
Uh, what we're not seeing in Alberta is really that support in the interim for students who are enrolled in post-secondaries. And that comes in the form of, you know, financial aid, tuition support, looking at, you know, mandatory non-instructional fees or the STEP right. program. Right. Um, so those are all, you know, such such important areas. So, uh, yeah, we appreciate your thoughts on everything today. Um, as one final question for you. So to sort of wrap up, um, what are some takeaways that you would like to leave our listeners with, either about yourself or your platform or some of your priorities? headed into this election you know uh the biggest thing is going out and voting and and hopefully you vote for the candidate and you don't vote for the leader mm-hmm. um you know rachel notley i've met her many times i actually have a great respect for her she's she's a wonderful lady don't get me wrong daniel smith i've never met her and i don't care to it's just who i am uh, you know, but the important thing is to actually go out and vote. If you have an Alberta candidate in your area, you know, think about voting for us. We're all, right now. We only have thirteen candidates. Uh, we vetted so hard. We've had so many people trying to get in, and we just—if you don't pick the cream of the crop, why put somebody in who is just not passionate about what we believe? And and you know. We're we're such a, uh, a we're we're a party where anger does isn't allowed. You know we don't you know make bad talk about the other parties and stuff. I meant that thing about Daniel Smith, but that's my own opinion. But we're we just want to get along and get things done. Mm. And if we have a few candidates in, we can actually be the buffer between the two parties. And have them start talking with each other and maybe getting this post-secondary issue under control because we're wasting time, we're wasting lives, and uh, we're really, really hurting Alberta. Absolutely. And I know uh, just before we we went on air, I know you mentioned that you have uh, a son yourself who's starting post-secondary soon. So I know this is uh, obviously a very pertinent issue for a lot of Albertans who have been through post-secondary themselves, but also might have children either in or headed into post-secondary. So uh, we really appreciate your thoughts on everything here today. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Invite me anytime back and uh, I'd be, uh, be great to come back. That sounds great. Well, thank you again for for joining us today. And with that, I will throw it uh, back over to Shazia, who's sort of uh, behind the uh, tech panel at our radio station to play our next song. CJSW, keep it locked.
Calgary's independent student newspaper and your best resource for news on everything from tuition hikes to pretzel vendors. Find The Gauntlet on stands all over campus, online at thegauntlet.ca, on Facebook as The Gauntlet Publication Society, on Twitter and Instagram at gauntletufc, and in your home, listening to the sweet rise and fall of your breath as you sleep. Not for journalism purposes, just because we like you. video killed the radio star, but at the University of Calgary, they coexist in peaceful harmony. NUTV is the University of Calgary's campus television station and has offered hands-on film and TV production training to the University of Calgary for over 25 years, with weekly YouTube releases ranging from the exploration of B-movies and cult films in Video Vulture to Unzip's exploration of sex positivity, NUTV strives to capture the stories of the university community. If you'd like to become a member or want more information, visit nutv.ca or swing by the studio on the third floor of McEwen Hall at the University of Calgary. Love you in the worst way You knock me down like a heavyweight mm-hmm. We fell in love, got a KO, oh no Too damn young, so we broke up, no go So much for a wedding date ha. I know nobody gets out of love alive We either break up when we're young Or we say goodbye when we die For a moment at least I know you were mine And it was beautiful But winter comes and roses don't survive It's getting late And I should go Good and I'm happy. 
This is Shazia behind the buttons today on CJSW with you. So you just heard Talking to Yourself by Carly Rae Jepsen. And then Before Love Came to Kill Us from Jesse Reyes. Some CanCon for you guys. And I'm going to now pass it back over to our president, Nicole Schmidt, who has another candidate with us today. Perfect. Thank you so much, Shazia, for the uh, intro of the songs there. And... Um, yes, so I am your uh, Students' Union President. My name is Nicole Schmidt. I am soon to be the outgoing Students' Union President, and uh, Shazia will be your incoming Students' Union President as of next week. So big shout out to Shazia for running all of the buttons today and being our technological wizard behind the scenes. Um, but with that, I am now very excited to welcome our second guest of the day. So running in Calgary Mountain View for the NDP is Kathleen Ganley. Kathleen was Minister of Justice and Solicitor General of Alberta for from 2015 until 2019, where she brought her knowledge and experience working in labor, employment, and human rights law to the table. Kathleen is also the current elected MLA representing Calgary Mountain View and is a University of Calgary alumni. So without further delay, I would like to welcome NDP candidate for Calgary Mountain View, Kathleen Ganley, to the show. So welcome and good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on. Um, but just to jump right into questions, so I know we had a little bit of a chat before we went on air, um, but I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how your experiences have impacted your decision to embark as a candidate in this election. Yeah, so... Um Let's see. Uh, I was practicing as a lawyer, obviously, when I decided to run. I actually have uh, degrees in psychology, philosophy, and law, all of them from the University of Calgary. I've never moved. Um, and yeah, I think 
mostly I was just sort of working along and I saw an opportunity and yeah, I ran for politics. Uh, since then, uh, I have had a daughter. Her, uh, her name is Ren. She's about five now. So uh, yeah, the two things keep me very, very busy. I'm sure. And I think the big question is, is she going to go to the University of Calgary? <laughs> Well, I guess I'll let her decide that. <laughs> very, very good call. Um, but that's thank you so much for uh, introducing yourself. And that's that's really great to hear um, for our next question. So we were hoping you could tell our listeners sort of what made you decide for the party to run for the party that you chose. So in this case, the NDP. Yeah, so uh, I think one of the big things that drove me uh, when I got into politics was uh, this sort of pervasive myth that we saw in society. And it's actually, I think, receded a little bit now. Uh, and that's basically trickle-down economics, right? That the more you give to the rich, uh, the more it helps everyone. And I think it's been disproven, but yet it sort of persists in public discourse, right? People still say, oh, well, but tax cuts for corporations or tax cuts for the very wealthy drive the economy. And that's there's actually very little evidence that that is true. Uh, so I had hoped to have some conversations about that. Uh, also very passionate about sort of upstream intervention, the idea of investing in housing and education and mental health supports as opposed to investing in the justice system. Um, and I think... Yeah, that that uh, that is a lot of what drove me uh, to join and to to join the party I joined. Um, I also did get to at the time have a conversation with Rachel Notley, so that probably didn't uh, that probably didn't hurt any. In fact, when I look back now, I think that I, I I thought that I made the decision after I talked to Rachel, but I think that when I agreed to take the phone call, I'd probably already made the decision. <laughs> I'm sure Rachel, though, was kind of the final catalyst there to, to absolutely, get you to run. absolutely. That's great. Well, thank you for uh, for telling our listeners and for our next question. So, uh, what do you bring to the table in terms of knowledge and experience as a candidate, and how do you plan to use your past experience as an MLA um, in a constructive way to empower Albertans? Uh, yeah. So, I think. Um you know, obviously, I spent four years as the Minister of Justice, so I'm sort of familiar with how uh, government works. Uh, I'm the energy critic now, so I think uh, that's been a very interesting learning curve. I've had the opportunity to sort of talk to people across the spectrum from different perspectives about that. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, experience there. Um, I think also... You know, the experience we have as MLAs, we spend a lot of time uh, talking to a lot of people. And I think that really helps drive home what people's actual concerns are, right? right. Because, um, you know, I went back to school multiple times. It's easy to get kind of drawn into this very um, technical sort of policy conversation, mm -hmm. right? But the truth is, is that most people are just trying to get by. Um, and so a lot of it is about communicating what are good evidence-based policy uh, policies uh, to folks in a way that they can understand them. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the most important things that we can do in politics right now because we really are sort of seeing a rise in – um, especially I would say in the last five or six years mm -hmm. um, in sort of misinformation and kind of hate-based misinformation, which I think is incredibly, incredibly problematic for public discourse. So I think, you know, the ability to state a rational position sort of uh, succinctly and um, in a way that that speaks to people is really important. Um, yeah, because I think we need to we need to be arming them with 
the ability to kind of challenge more and more of that misinformation that's coming at them. Absolutely. That's so important. And I know uh, we had a conversation earlier on in the show just about sort of voter apathy and how to make, you know, students more interested in voting, but also uh, explain things in sort of a tangible way that they're, you know, excited about voting and they understand the implications of, you know, the government and what that means for them as post-secondary students. So I think that's that's such an important issue and that's something that, you know, we at the Students' Union try to do a lot of work on and just, you know, communicating those things to students, but also making sure that they actually get out to vote. Um, so with that, we'll maybe switch gears here to some more post-secondary based questions. So first wanted to ask you about uh, tuition, but I'll provide a little bit of context uh, once again to our listeners uh, before I ask you the question. So post-secondary students in Alberta are facing significant challenges with regards to affordability. Tuition increases have put additional financial pressure on students with a 33% increase in tuition since 2019. Despite the 2% cap on tuition increases announced by the UCP, which will begin in the 2024 to 2025 academic year, students are already facing tough situations regarding financial pressures due to tuition hikes. Many students are being forced to sacrifice their basic needs because of these financial stressors. So my question for you is what will you do to lessen these financial pressures and support students at a time when they need it most? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I think we've seen nearly a billion dollars cut out of universities over the last four years. I think that's incredibly problematic. Like you said, um, I actually had 30%, so 33 as it turns out, is even worse in terms of tuition increases. Uh, So what we've committed to do is actually uh, to freeze tuition at last year's rate. So we would take it back a year and freeze it there because, you know, we had gotten to the point in Alberta in about 2019 where we were the second lowest tuition in the country mm-hmm. and now we're sort of up among the highest again. Um, and I think that's problematic because what – I mean it's problematic for the students because um, you know I hold the radical position that people should be able to get an education and also have a roof and food. So radical. Uh, so <laughs> radical. <laughs> so you know, that's hugely problematic but it's also pr- problematic for our society, right? Because – you know, here in Alberta, we're we're in a position where we're seeing sort of more and more new and emerging sectors taking over. We're going to need an enormous amount of clean tech. Um, you know, moves to things like a net zero electricity grid and a net zero economy, especially in Alberta, are going to require an enormous amount of uh, innovation, and that requires some really smart people. And so, we should be doing our best to retain those people in Alberta and having the highest tuition in the country, having, um, you know, a, a system where the university is is not supported to, to increase enrollment um, means that people are leaving the province. And sometimes when they leave the province, they don't come back. Uh, and so I think, yeah, I think that ensuring that tuition remains affordable and that uh, universities remain funded is it, – it's important – to students, it's important to families, but it's also very important to our economy and the future that we're trying to build. Absolutely. And I guess on that topic, do you think that there's anything else that either post-secondaries or the government can do to sort of prevent that brain drain that we're seeing in Alberta? Because I know so many students, you know, they live here, they grow up in, you know, Calgary or Edmonton or other areas of the province. They go here for school and then for their careers or for graduate studies, they look out of the province or they look elsewhere into other countries such as the United States. So do you think that there's anything else that can be done there to ensure that we retain talent in Alberta? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's about, uh, 
I think it's about giving people hope, about giving them something, a future to look forward to, right? Uh, I think the the problem has been, um, you know, that for a long time, uh, we have been sort of stuck in this conversation where a lot of people are, you know, denying the existence of climate change or – and that has made people worry that there isn't a future here in this province. But there there absolutely is a future here in this province. We can, we can absolutely remain energy leaders in oil and gas uh, by, you know – pivoting a lot of that by adding carbon capture, um, by by changing sort of, um, you know, methane emissions. There's a lot we can do. Um, and we can absolutely build on our strengths. Like Alberta is the solar leader in the country right now. Uh, but people don't necessarily know that because we don't always do a great job of communicating it. Um, so I think that making sure that people understand that there's a future here and not not trying to seek the future in the past, not going back to have, you know, those old conversations where we're still denying the existence of climate change, um, not trying to go back to, you know, a curriculum designed in the 1950s. Uh, I think we just, we need to give people, um, you know, hope. And Alberta is an incredibly entrepreneurial place. We can absolutely position ourselves uh, to do that. And this is a great place um, for students to learn, for young people to stay, for people to, you know, buy a house and build a life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to make sure that when we're communicating, we're we're talking about that bright future. We're talking about what we can build and what the opportunities here are uh, and not trying to reach back for the past. Absolutely. No, I think that's, that's important from my understanding of conversations with students who, you know, want to stay in Alberta. Like they really do want to stay here because they've, they've grown up here. They've attended post-secondary here, um, but they just don't necessarily see those future opportunities for them available. So that's really important to, to hear. And on, on that same sort of uh, vein, so access to summer employment opportunities has been a significant challenge for post-secondary students, especially um, since the cancellation of the summer temporary employment program. Program or STEP by the UCP back in 2019, uh, students simply haven't had uh, the same eligibility for current jobs programs, which require permanent full-time employment. So back in June 2022, youth unemployment sat at 10.2%, which was double the provincial unemployment rate of 4.9%. Students are heading into their fourth consecutive jobless summer with increased living costs, hike tuition, and no government support. So how do you perceive these challenges in the context of sort of what we just discussed? And what strategies, if any, do you plan to enact to help students overcome this inadequate access to summer employment opportunities? Yeah, so uh, obviously we brought back the STEP program the last time uh, we were in government. That's something we're we're definitely looking to do again. Um, I think that that's you know it's it's a program with a proven track record. It's good for employers. It's also good for students to sort of gain experience. Um, and I think it's a program that again it has that function of building our system wide economy, right? Because um, it allows people to get in to try things to discover what they're passionate about and to to sort of build build the future that everyone in this province needs. When we support students to uh, sort of move into areas they're passionate about, it doesn't just help them. Mm-hmm. It helps the entire economy because people who are passionate about things, they, they innovate, right? They uh, create new opportunities and that's better for everyone. So I think that's, that's definitely um, one of the things we'd be looking at as we move forward. Um, I think, and this is sort of 
somewhat related. Uh, but one of the things we're looking at, too, in our competitiveness, jobs and investment strategy is in Alberta's future tax credit. Um, and so what that does is it sort of allows new and emerging industries access to capital to build and to grow. And that creates more jobs. It creates more jobs in sort of future-focused industries, potentially in a lot of clean tech, mm-hmm. um, where students will be looking to work because people want to move in into, into an industry they see long-term into the future, right? Um, and, you know, oil and gas is likely to be with us for a long time here in Alberta. But um, – you know, we need to we need to sell that story. We need to explain the things that we're doing. We need to talk about the Pathways Project a little more and about how that can be done in a net zero way. And I think, you know, some of the ways that the current government talks about oil and gas are actually run counter to that goal um, because – you know they have this war room that attacks children's movies. You know this isn't this isn't helpful uh, in terms of explaining to people that this is this is an industry that can be future focused. So um, I think you know, yeah, that's that's a couple of different things. But uh, providing those opportunities is going to be critical, and step is definitely one of the things. Absolutely. Well, no, that's great to hear. And I know um, there was a commitment that was announced by the NDP a number of months ago now, but committing to, as you mentioned, re-implementing step, and I think funding it up to, I believe it was twelve thousand student positions. So I think that was three or four times what it was uh, previously, which I know is going to have a, a measurable impact on post-secondary students. So that's really good to hear as well. Um, to jump into, let's jump over to student aid, so student Ooh. financial aid. Um, so to provide a little bit of context once again to our listeners, so Alberta's ratio of loans and non-repayable grants for student financial aid is grossly imbalanced. Students currently receive significantly fewer non-repayable grants than our provincial counterparts. Student financial aid is imperative to make education accessible for students and to provide opportunities for continued education. So in a time when students are at their breaking point from increased financial strain, how do you plan to support student access to financial aid and advocate for a more equitable balance of available government resources for students? Uh, Yeah, so I think there's a couple different components to that. Um, So yes, financial aid is definitely a piece. I think overall the cost of tuition is also uh, a a big piece of that. Uh, And so obviously we're looking to bring that down because it just means – Needing less support and needing fewer loans, um, I believe. Uh, so the current government brought in a policy where they increased uh, by a percentage point the, the the interest on student loans, which I think is, I mean, problematic. I don't really know why the government um, – I understand that the government needed money, although they didn't really at that time, but um, – to do it on the backs of students just doesn't seem like the the best way to do it. So I think they have rolled that back. Uh, that is something that we would definitely <laughs> leave where it is because I think it's uh, unnecessary. Um, in terms of the overall grants, I don't think we have. Um, I don't. I don't know that we've made an announcement on that yet, uh, but it's definitely something that we would be looking at. That's really really good to hear because I know um, just from our advocacy work with the students' union. Alberta has the least equitable ratio of, I believe it's loans to non-repayable grants and bursaries in Canada. And that's something that's been um, a big point of contention, I know, with post-secondary students, not only at the U of C, but across the province. uh, Because, you know, despite their tuition increasing, there haven't been proportional 
uh, increases to financial aid opportunities for students. So that's been uh, definitely a big concern that I know we've heard a lot of um, from from the students that we represent. Um, Similar area, but uh, student mental health has been an increasing concern for post-secondary students. Uh, Federally, one in two students say that they can't access the mental health support that they need. Um, and the resources that they do need to access are not available for them. Uh, students need someone who will help to make sure that their mental health is made a priority. Um, so how do you see yourself sort of addressing this issue um, and what are your thoughts on supporting student mental health? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, in terms of mental health, I actually think um, more broadly that everyone deserves that sort of access. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we're bringing forward is our family health teams, uh, which will give sort of people access to um, ranges of practitioners, right? That allows people to get in to see their family doctors more quickly, but it also includes mental health practitioners. Um, and uh, one of the other things that we've talked about doing is giving people access to five free mental health visits. So that would be uh, applicable to everyone throughout Alberta, and those would essentially be covered um, – those would be covered by the government. Uh, so that is that is a start. Mm-hmm. Um I think, you know, you'll see us looking more and more at this file as we move forward. But I think that the starting point should be that, you know, we should be providing some access to mental health supports to everyone throughout the province. Absolutely. That's so important. And I know um, that's definitely an area of need for post-secondary students, but I know all Albertans in in general. So that's really, really great to hear that uh, that's going to be a priority for you guys moving forward. Um, With that, that actually brings us to our last question. So what are some takeaways that you would like... uh, Uh, not only students, but our listeners to have from our conversation today, maybe anything about yourself or your platform? Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) A big question, I know. A tiny question. Um, What are some takeaways? Uh, I would say, you know, one of the things that drove me first into politics was this situation with trickle-down economics with upstream intervention. And I think a lot of my colleagues have very similar stories. Um, I think what what drives us uh, tends to be... um, People and ensuring that that you know people have access to what they need, uh, and I think you know as we create both a, a post secondary situation but larger throughout the economy, uh, you know creating a world in which Albertans you know the middle class have access to housing and food, in which everyone and students have access to being able to pay their tuition and still be able to afford the groceries. Uh, I think that that's something that's hugely important. Um, I think the other big thing I'd say is that, um, you know, post-secondary fulfills a very important function um, in terms of our democracy, right? Um, Presently, we are in a time when the world is rife with misinformation and there are a lot of um, places that I would say almost are masquerading now as news news outlets, right? I, I think of like Rebel News, the Counter Signal, that sort of thing, um, that are that are sort of really pushing a hate based agenda. Uh, and I think the more we can arm people with the information to push back on that, uh, the better a society we can build. So um, I think the takeaway would be, uh, you know, we have made some clear commitments in terms of tuition, in terms of supporting post secondary, but I think. Um, you know, one of the big things when you when you look at what party you want to support is what are their values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in our case, our values really are about, you know, building to that future, creating a future economy that we can all uh, 
live in, that we can all thrive in, where everyone is acknowledged. Uh, I think, you know, making sure that people have what they need is a big part of that. Absolutely.